have Keon Davis with us today, who, like so many people in the entertainment and arts fields, is multi-talented. Multi-talentedness is something that people don't really realize when they first get involved with a creative practice. And then as time goes on, they discover that, oh, maybe I didn't really want to be a ceramic artist. Maybe I wanted to be a painter. Maybe I want to be an installation artist. Maybe I want to be a singer. Maybe I want to be a director. I mean, it, it is totally flexible because the heart and soul of it is our creative ability. So um, I am going to let Kian go through her checklist of all the she does. And then we're going to talk about the, um, the uh, um, program that's about to open. And I think um, everybody's going to want to see it when she tells you about it. Okay. This stuff. Well, I am currently a director and choreographer with uh, JP, JPAS, Jefferson Parish Art Society. I am also uh, a character uh, in the current musical we have coming up. Um, I am also a stage manager for um, uh, opera companies. New Orleans Opera will be next with me, or I will be with them. I travel with a production uh, as a tr uh, production manager for an uh, inter uh, international traveling company. Uh, Bridget Bazil is an opera and classical and gospel singer. She sings all over the world and I handle all of her travels. I'm also one of her singers. Um, uh, and let's just leave it at that. I love, I love the arts, love the live stage and entertainment. And I am glad to be back in the working circle yet again. So, What's interesting about what you're doing that's a little bit different from a lot of people who have, again, are multidisciplinary, um, is that you are both doing the performance, but also the organizing. And that's, that's common, but less typical than, um, you know, doing uh, uh, maybe singing and performing and dancing, but you've added a lot of organizational uh, programming. And, and that's a challenge. That, that, that is, uh, I, I couldn't do that, I don't think, yeah. do both the production and the, um, and, and the actual performance. Tell me about how, first of all, you figured out that you could do both and then how you juggle both. Right. Um... Well, you, you've got to be a little out of your mind, yet in your mind, I guess, to uh, realize or have the desire to do both on and off stage at the same time, so to speak. Um, and it comes from, I mean, I actually have been doing it since a kid. Uh, my dance teacher, Sorrel Daniel, when I was in dance school in New Orleans um, many, many years ago, um, she could tell that I was into a lots of things and she encouraged me to sing and dance. And she asked me to help her with organizing the music. Then she asked me to help her organize the show. Then she took on some of my ideas and then I would help her with backstage. And before you know it, I was doing a little bit of everything. By the time I've got to college, the same thing happened with my voice teacher, uh, Dr. McCrary at UNO, um, realized I had an interest in all things and he helped, helped me to move forward to 
be an assistant director in some of his shows and got me on with New Orleans Opera as stage manager. And I mean, everyone I connected with just basically helped me to get involved in anything I could get my hands on. And I didn't realize it was different. You know, I, it was just what I like to do. Um, I spent more time backstage for some time. And then I came back on stage, uh, back on stage as a singer. And now I'm just getting my hands on everything I can. Jay Paz let me uh, direct a show at the beginning of this season. And I sang one last season. So um, it's, it's been really fun. I didn't realize how hard it is <laughs> until, you know, you might, until you pause and think too much. But um, yeah, this particular show is that, um, directing it, chore being the choreographer um, and a character, um, I guess could be mind blowing, but I don't wanna think about that part. I just wanna get it done and you know, stay excited. And I love my production team. The cast is great. You know, Everyone's catering to what I'm looking for or the creativity side of things. So it's all working out. Um, still got to get my lines and my dance steps together and wrap the cast around everything. And uh, we should be ready to go uh, in a week or so. My goodness. Okay, now let's <laughs> talk for a minute because I, I don't want to lose track of it, of the production that's coming up. Let's uh, talk about Sisters. Yeah, um, Sisters the Musical. Um, it's not a new musical, but it's not as popular as I would love it to become. Um, it's uh, the it's written by uh, Dorothy uh, Marnack, and she she's out of I believe out of New York. She had the opening maybe in two thousand eleven. It's about uh, women who've lost their grandmother. Um, three sisters, one daughter of the sisters and a sister-in-law who happens to be a white girl. So it's four black women and one white girl about a story of their grandmother. So they go into the attic and clean out things and discover the grandmother's past and all the things. It's a reminiscing kind of history story, you know, reminiscing the good times, the things we've learned from grandma and history of, uh, of, of, Black culture, um, gospel. Your grandmother came from the gospel world, and she was a African American uh, activist, and um, so it kind of moves us through through history musically, from music from Bessie Smith and Billie Holiday all the way to now, Jill Scott, Andy Irie, Beyonce. Um, it, it, it's a great time. It's about twenty two songs. Wow, wow. <laughs> and, you know, we just knock them out, knock them out just by pieces and storytelling and good times and, you know, uh, reminiscing in the attic uh, of our grandmother. So you said that you wish it was more popular. So uh, I'm getting from that that um, maybe it hasn't had the exposure that it deserves. Right. I think that and, the, you know, it, it the process of a musical to go from creation to readings to uh, small, small workings to possibly Broadway or off Broadway or just the steps that it takes for a musical or, or writings or plays. Um, can some, sometimes I think we lose a lot of gems um, in that the workings has to go all the way up and through New York and back. Uh, but uh, this particular show was, I believe, working pretty well between 2013 and 16 a few times and uh, in like off-Broadway theaters in New York. Um, 
Then recently, I believe it was getting a little popular, but just like everything, uh, COVID happened and uh, the theater had to you know, close temporarily with Sisters as the running show. So it was doing very well in, in New York. And, um, and I believe the next step would be something like trying to shop it around. And it's coming around. I believe there's another show, I think in Tennessee, I'm not exactly sure, but there's another show happening in the next year or so um, that's going to put out Sisters, but it's just not popular, you know? Um, story of, of a black women's music, I think would be, would be uh, great if we can get it out there. Um, so this is one way to put it out and I appreciate JP, JPAS uh, going for it. It's really been fun. So um, I just last week um, had, uh, I, th I think it was last week or the week before because she was here. No, it was the week before. So I had a woman on named Janice Kearney who is a writer and she has written about 10 books. She worked for um, Bill Clinton. She was his diarist and then she wrote uh, biographies and, and she helps people write memoirs. And um, she did a book called Only on Sundays um, about Mahalia Jackson. And I went to the talk that she had at the Community Book Center and it was fascinating, of course. And it kind of um, parallels a little bit what you're talking about. You might want to stop by um, community bookstore and get a copy of the book because uh, the story definitely relates to what um, what you're talking about, and okay. um, it's it's a it's a very powerful uh, powerful book. But okay. uh, I think that um, we're in a very interesting moment in time when there is more attention to um, uh, black performers, black entertainment and art history. You see it everywhere. I mean, I'm, I'm a reader of both our local uh, newspaper, but also I read the New York Times every day. I'm originally from New York, so it's, 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 it's hard to resist, mainly because of the content. They just have so much. And, um, and so there is a, a time that we're in right now where you are seeing so much more of the cultural production that's coming out of the black community. Mm -hmm. How do you feel this is going? I mean, where, where are we going? Mm -hmm. what, what is the future of this and, and how do you see your role in it? Yeah, um, I do think it's going. I, I, and I think it's going well. We, we do see a lot more um, happening from um, more diverse uh, artists. Uh, from the writing, the producing world, the acting world, um, and the directing world, I think it's, I think it is going well. I'm not sure, I don't really do the history and the marketing to figure out the hows and whys it hasn't worked or what exactly it may take to work um, or, or get, uh, put things out there a lot more or it'd be a lot uh, of more availability to more people. But I do feel it's moving along. It's coming along. I think as as we come together as a whole people, that of course helps. But those those divine dollars from larger businesses and producers that have the interest of pushing that avenue, um, I think are coming forward a lot more. Um, I think you know, from Disney and I mean, just everyone is just moving forward with diversity and it is the thing right now. I hope it's not a, a, a you know, a phase uh, of some sort, but I do feel we're, we're doing a lot more of it. 
Um, I think we, I think the culture is, the diversity is a, is a talent. I mean, that the, the culture of different diverse cultures have so much talent and we, it's, it's a lot we can plug into and learn about and, you know, learn from history wise and talent. I mean, there's a line in sisters uh, that I, it, sisters that I have to, uh, I say about, about the white girl that she is like singing just as well and it's riffing and doing all the little tricks you know we call it riffing um that like a black woman would do and that's just the time now everyone's singing and dancing and moving and shaking like each other we're all gelling and mixing a lot more now um i'm hoping it makes it all the way up to the media and back to entertainment and back um and yeah but it's a work it is a working process um I don't so, do that. So I, think, I think you're very kind to describe it the way you just did, because another way to uh, that some people who are not quite so generous about it uh, describe it is as appropriation um, of uh, some other uh, other folks um, culture. But I tend to feel that um, really from very early on in America, our music has been incredibly influenced um, by let's say black people as opposed to a community or culture because it, we're talking in the early early days oh yes uh, we were talking about individuals and and um and and really sort of um smaller venues and, and uh, a home and um i hate to say it but plantation venues exactly. and, and even and, and even prisons and so forth. A lot of the music developed in those areas. So, but when I listen to uh, <clears throat> music in there, you know, like, do you ever watch those shows on CNN about the eighties and the seventies and the sixties and they go into the culture of that period and mm -hmm. uh, every single one of them, you can see that inter interaction and mm -hmm. that borrowing and that developing and changing. And the, one of the ones that really struck me is how flattering they were of Eminem as, and his role in, in um, promoting actually in a, in a backhanded way, uh, black culture, because he really did totally absorb it and, and present it. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, I think that um, I'm, not, I, I'm, I'm sure there are a lot, there's a lot more writing about this than I have actually seen because I'm uh, not a scholar as much as I am a participant. I mean, I do productions and I do a lot of music uh, productions. I did a whole series based on the old Do Drop In at the Contemporary Arts Center when we first opened it. But um, I, I want, again, I'm, I'm still curious about where this goes because um, you know, things change and uh, nothing is on a, I always say that history doesn't know anything about straight lines. It mm. takes big jags and it takes uh, loops and it takes, um, you know, different directions and it becomes um, uh, a different um, outcome than was projected in initially. So right. I'm just curious at how you feel about where it's going uh, and and um, uh, how do we see the outcome and you know another thing I want to mention is I don't I'm not a big fan of Broadway music because okay. to me, it, it tends to all sound the same okay um, and I, I my only I went to a performance when I was a child literally and my father somehow got front row tickets to West Side Story when it first came out 
And that was a thrill and it really excited me. Um, but generally speaking, there's a certain framework and style of Broadway music that's kind of redundant. And redundancy is not my favorite thing in life. So I'm just curious as to, uh, you know, what is, maybe another way of saying this is what do you see coming down the trail or up the trail right now as um, some kind of new merging of idioms and, and styles that are on the horizon. I always want to know what's the newest thing, in other words. Right. Well, I don't do as much homework as I could or should with as far as the newest things. I can I can go with the things that may have that are already out. I do know there's several there's several uh, black writers um, that are coming out. Uh, if not already out in uh, Broadway, the New York um, release is coming up very soon. And I think the changes, um, the traditional, as you spoke of, the traditional uh, uh, Broadway style is, is, yeah. is evolving a little bit um, to where, you know, genres are what they are, but then inside them, there's these subs that, or, you know, that kind of come out and then some just blow up bigger than others and it becomes this new thing. Um, Hamilton as an example. Hamilton for a great example. Um, and the, 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 uh, the strange loop that's out. And it's just, just so many different things that's coming, uh, um, coming to create or shows a lot more diversity. Um, but as far as longevity or what, how I see it coming or making uh, the growth in these, uh, in musicals or Broadway or traditional, um, I think, I think educating us. I think, I think no, we're now, it goes through a time. People don't want to see plays and theaters and musicals. It's just, it's just not what we're into. There, there's been time when we stopped going to the movies and not don't really have interest in that. Television shows and you know what's happening on TV and streaming and all that has really changed how we watch things. Television, movies, play, anything is all. All those things are kind of evolving, which makes us not as interested in live. Um, so I maybe, maybe, uh, and, and, and then there's always the cycles, right? The pendulum swings. And so, whereas you're absolutely right now, it's all about streaming. You hear that word right. streaming all the time now, and we're watching, um, all of the uh, things that we can watch, uh, that are on, um, on our television set, if not quote TV. Right. It um, has its pros and cons, you know, it's like, I love to watch and binge watch those things or whatever. And now there are even opportunities to where the Met and different opera companies and concert are streaming their shows. Um, you can see something after it came out live, or you can see it live or paid to see the stream and different avenues where you can still see stuff. Um, live or on TV that was live, however you might say that, but um, there's that avenue, but the I still am in love and live for live performance, just the go for, for operas, for dance, for theater, for musicals, for play, anything that has that go live nonstop thing. I love that. Um, when you add the television and record it and play it through TV, you know, I like it, but I'm just not as driven with that. And I think if we could find a way to still get us back to going to the shows and feeling the 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 sensation of of what's happening directly in front of you live, 
um, we're just not of that time as much anymore. Um, so, you know, I, I wouldn't say that so much as I think that we haven't adapted the, the, um, te the techniques for getting the word out so that people know what's happening, where it's happening, and are encouraged to get there. So when I promote something on my radio show, I almost always talk about how to get there and where to park. Because mm -hmm. I don't okay. go anywhere unless I know how to park. I went okay. to the BMICE event yesterday that the um, MSNBC uh, put on, and um, I was so worried about parking that I just took a cab. And then I had to make sure I found somebody who lived near me who could take me home. So Brenda Bro, who lives a block away from me, thankfully took me home. But um, you know, I, I think that um, a lot of times people are are concerned about the logistics. And right now, with our alleged um, crime surge, and I guess there is one, but it's happening all over the country. It's not just about New Orleans. Right. That's something I'm, I'm sorry that New Orleans doesn't do a better job of communicating. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's also a product, not so much of courts and police as it is education and community. Right. So, right. Um, I'm very, uh, feel that we're not doing our job in that arena. Mm -hmm. But on, on terms of, um, of live performance, I think if it was just a, a, if we had just a little bit more money for marketing and getting the story out about where something is, and I'm going to next, of course, ask you exactly how do people find your theater? Mm -hmm. um, especially those people who are still sort of, you know, Orleans bound, right? Um, even below canal bound, you know, I live below canal and I tell people I only go uptown if I absolutely have to. So um, getting people to Jefferson, let's talk about where it is and where folks can park. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Uh, well, the show is at uh, Teatro Wego. It's uh, it's on the it's in West Wego, Louisiana. The uh, address is one seven seven Sala Avenue. How do you say that? How do you spell that? S A L A Avenue Sala one seven seven Sala. Okay. And it is just off of River Road. Um, I'm of course from the New Orleans area too, so I'm I don't I'm not as familiar with. Uh, the, the exact and the directions. I, the GPS does get you close to the area. I understand if you turn off of uh, the West Bank Expressway area to 4th Street and head towards River Road, you should be able to run right into the historical area of West Wego and the theater is right there on Sala. Uh, Can you the name of the theater again, please? What, uh, Teatro Wego. T we go, okay. Yes, T-E-A-T-R-O, we go, W-E-G-O. Right. Okay. And they're working, they're working on the theater. They're looking for more, more, uh, more events to happen there. Um, it can be a hall-like place where you can have business and parties and shows, concerts, stand-up comedy, all kinds of things. It's two spaces. And we're in the smaller space. The Sisters is a very intimate, small show. Um, it's just one set with an attic, grandma's attic. So, um, and then Teatro Wego also has a, a, a larger theater right next door to, um, to the small the small box that we'll be using. Um, so, speaking of box, 
though. You, did you know that the musical is considered a jukebox musical? Jukebox, which is which means it the songs or the the songs come from a pop from the popular music. It's not original songs written for the show, like most musicals are. There's a there's a a, a, a writer, a songwriter that writes original songs for the show. This is a jukebox musical where the songs are popular, where we're using songs that we know, which is a great flavor for the audience. It's a sing-along, a dance-along, song after song after song, the audience uh, will know. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun because um, we really do all still appreciate the songs we grew up with or that we partied with in our 20s and 30s and 40s and 50s. And I know I'm, I'm, I'm up there, but um, I still remember my favorite music from junior high school when really rock and roll was just kicking in in New York. That's where I'm from originally. And, um, you know, a lot of uh, the fantastic music that I still love hearing. Well, it sounds like a great event. I'm really impressed with what um, the Jefferson Parish um, uh, SO, give, give me the whole uh, name exactly. I don't have uh, my it's Jefferson Parish Art Society. Art Society. Um, it's so I'm impressed with uh, JPAS uh, uh, right. uh, because uh, systematically over time they've been doing a lot of very interesting productions. So I think that New Orleans has to get out of its rut and um, check it out. And yes. uh, this this uh, event, this performance that you guys are putting together, and it sounds like. Um, you are an important part of that. And listening to your talent and experience, um, I would say that people can expect a really impressive uh, experience. And I hope that they get out there. Now, I just yes. have to ask you one question I can't resist asking because listening to your credits, uh, it sounds like you're just one of those really high energy points in the horoscope. I'm going to guess Leo. Hmm. Virgo. I don't know what points are. Or Did you say Virgo? I'm a Virgo. So am I. What day? 28th of August. Okay. You see now you see that too. I'm 27. Oh, wow. That, that time of the month is definitely still borderline Leo. We have a lot of Leo in us. In fact, that makes us kind of um, challenging for some folks because we have both that analytical, critical instinct of a Virgo and that urge to make everybody do what we want them to do, <laughs> Leo. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate, I appreciate your credits. I appreciate what you're doing. Um, stay in touch and let me know how your uh, career shapes up, what you do next, because I suspect it's going to be as interesting as this is. But in the meantime, assist us. Oh, date, dates and times. I'm sorry. Yes, we yes for sure. Um, it's January 27th through February 12th. It's on the weekends, Fridays and Saturdays, 7.30, Sundays at 2. Uh, you can get tickets from www.jpas.org. J-P-A-S, Jefferson Parish. Artsociety.org. Yes, jpas.org. All right. Well, you have a blast and it sounds like you are having a blast with your life and I'm, I'm blown away and impressed and um, looking forward to following you. I don't know if I'll make this particular performance because I've got a husband in the hospital at the moment and that's uh, that's a whole other life track for a, a minute. So maybe the next one, but um, okay. okay, Virgo. Um, All right. 
you go Dominique, for it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate right. it. Till next Take time. Care. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. very well-known architect based in New Orleans, Washington and Dallas, but New Orleans is his home. And he um, has just been honored as a creative and it's um, verification of a message that our organization for one and the city now has been delivering about the range of creative activity. It's not just about visual and performing arts, it's about media, it's about design, it's about architecture, even engineering, and because you can't have a Frank Gehry building without an engineer. You can't have any building without an engineer. And, um, and uh, it's, it's, it's just a, a, an important uh, creative practice that um, involves a lot of different kinds of talents, which Ray possesses. And the city honored him just um, this uh, past couple of days. Um, for his contribution uh, to the creative practices of New Orleans. And um, I think it was kind of a surprise, uh, Ray, and, um, and, and, a, and a pleasant one. And for all the people who were honored um, and in, in the many different disciplines of our creative practice in New Orleans. So tell me about being an architect, how you got there, because you're from Franklin, Louisiana, do I remember correctly? Franklin Tun. Franklin Tun. Franklin Tun. I was very close. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and I, I don't think there was an architectural um, practice in your uh, childhood, but I, you'll tell me more about um, what your family uh, was up to. But yeah. I want to know how you got there. And I want to understand um, the practice in New Orleans. Um, sometimes it's very robust architecture. Other times it goes into you know the weaker moments that are characteristic in any kind of an economy. And, um, and I'm fascinated to know about our future because I think that we've been totally underappreciated. And um, I think the honoring is a, a little bit of a smoke signal that maybe we're gonna do better in recognizing the importance of architecture to our whole, our whole environment and economy in this region. So, there's a lot for us to talk about. Tell, tell me, uh, first of all, how you got started. Yeah. Well, first, Jean, thank you very much. And uh, I want to, again, thank the 
city of New Orleans uh, for the honor on Saturday night. Uh, uh, quite honestly, I was very surprised uh, when we did get the call and um, we have been toiling as it were in the, in the vineyards here in New Orleans for, you know, for uh, the past 40 plus years. Um, I moved to New Orleans uh, from, from Michigan after finishing up my uh, Master's of Architecture at uh, University of Michigan. But to your question of where, where I'm from, uh, and how I got into architecture. It's a, it's a pretty simple story, but uh, I think an important one because uh, my inspiration for um, getting into the design profession really came as a result of um, my father, uh, who was a small builder, uh, contractor in Franklinton. And he participated in an FHA program back in the uh, when I was a teenager in which he uh, would solicit a family who, uh, you know, were working folks, usually uh, a, a couple with uh, two incomes and uh, would encourage them to apply for an FHA loan. And uh, if they were successful in getting that loan, then he would then build them a very modest house. These were typically three bedroom ranch style houses. And one of the things that I remember in that process with him, he would get in the mail a set of drawings for the house. And um, he would, uh, at night, he had a full-time job uh, working for um, the uh, Saint Washington St. Tammany Rural Co-op. Uh, it's the electrical company in Washington Parish. And he would sit at night pouring over those drawings and I would, um, watch him as he did that, doing estimates and takeoffs uh, so that he could go and buy the material. Uh, typically, he would buy those materials in Covington, or in some cases, he would even drive to New Orleans with a flatbed truck and retrieve those materials. But the one thing that I have to say is that my father had a sixth grade education, mm. and, and I watched him literally lay the foundations for these houses and they were basically uh, slab on grade. And, um, and I don't remember ever where he had an instance where he had to redo work. And so I, I take from that, that he was very precise and very um, and, 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 you know, and he had no formal education in this. This was uh, something he learned. Uh, I did see a number of, of uh, construction books on his uh, desk uh, from time to time. And so he was really self-taught in that way. And so that was really my inspiration. I went to Southern University's uh, School of Architecture. Uh, I went there for a career day when I was a junior in high school and went over to the School of Architecture and uh, I saw all of the fantastic stuff they were doing there. And wow. I said, that's what I want to do. And so in, uh, in 19, what was it, 1969, when I graduated from high school, I went to Southern University and uh, received a bachelor's of architecture degree from them five years later. You know, your story in a way is very familiar when you ask people who have achieved uh, a, a um, recognized level of in their practice, very often you hear this intentionality from a young age, you know, where the light bulb goes off in some situation and the commitment is made and you just keep 
going on and doing what you need to do to, to yeah. develop that commitment. And I think that's one of the things that really has been missing in our school, schools in New Orleans. We haven't really found a way to inspire that level of commitment. So yeah. there hasn't been enough exposure for our, our youth to understand their, their possibilities. And I, I say all the time, if you don't know what your possibilities and your opportunities are, then uh, all bets are off. And that's where mm -hmm. we really drop into the terrible crime situation we're in. It's not about how the courts and police operate. Right. It's about whether a, a, a youth feels like they recognize their opportunity. Yeah. So, so you go on, and but you do more than just become an architect. You become a major architect. You build a, a, a business, much of it, the enterprise of your father, helping people to get loans to do their buildings. That is a phenomenal um, yeah. idea. And, and again, showing both intelligence and, and creativity and enterprise, all of which yeah. are category, characteristics you have to have. Yeah, my father was um, uh, later became a uh, ordained minister, and so he was very involved in the little community where I'm from, Washington Parish. Uh, most people will know Bogalusa uh, because they had a major industry there. Uh, the uh, they had a pulp and a paper facility okay. there, uh, corrugated box manufacturers. Crown Zellerback was the owner. I think it's now. Um, uh, it, it's changed hands a number of times since uh, since I was there. But again, I think that uh, to your point, Jane, I think there are still instances that I hear even in 21 and 22 where uh, there are people who um, in major cities have never met a black architect. And so, you know, their ability to, you know, aspire to something really uh, is lacking because there's simply not a lot of exposure for people like me who are, you know, um, as I said, toiling in the vineyards uh, in this in this profession. Um, so I, I think, you know, I, I totally agree with you that, you know, we have to do a better job of, of exposing folks to and the- inspiring. And, and inspiring, yeah. And hopefully, you know, I had some folks come up to me that I've known since I moved to New Orleans and, and literally thanked me for, you know, doing what I do and uh, on Saturday night. So I, I was really, in, in some cases, moved by that uh, because again, it means that it's not unrecognized. You know, all the hard work isn't, isn't uh, unrecognized. So we're a city that, um, you know, everybody always says food, music, food, music, food, music, but yeah. Um, landscape and architecture are such an important part of why this city um, has its allure. It, it, yeah. It's not just about music. It's the built environment and it's the, the natural landscape. I can't help but think that some of those early painters who trudged through the woods, so to speak, to get mm -hmm. to New Orleans um, because they had seen and, and then they later became um, intimate in a sense with our natural environment, which is so important. Yeah. And to the extent that our architecture accommodates that natural environment, which increasingly it has to do it even more, of course, because of climate change. God knows we're probably going to have to figure out a way to. I think my husband's latest idea is sail houses <laughs> that can bend and flex and float on the water because yeah. if we're going to continue, we're going to have to figure out how to accommodate water. So tell me how, how the 
existing um, uh, older architecture of the area has inspired you, but let's really move into um, how do we claim our um, right to help other places that are only beginning to experience what we've been experiencing in the way of um, climate change and water rise. Um, so uh, I'd love to hear what, what, what has inspired you aesthetically, but also how you see our practice in New Orleans developing and influencing others. And, and finally getting the recognition that it should get yeah. our practice here. Well, I think, you know, one of the things about New Orleans, and, and we often take this for granted, you know, uh, in its founding 300 years ago, Bienville uh, trudged across uh, Bayou St. John from Lake Pontchartrain because the native population says, here's a shorter route to get back to the river. And then you established the French Quarter, you know, a collection of buildings which, you know, almost every city in the country would give their um, give their left arm for you know these these buildings are a precious resource and you know they're a historic district but you know in some ways they're a, a national treasure and uh, one of the things that I've always felt was, that we should have we should be a world monument city a heritage city. site yes, and I yes. you know I don't know why that hasn't happened I don't I can't take it on, but somebody really needs to take that on. Yeah. yeah, and particularly because the age of those buildings, you know, is such that at some point there's going to have to be a massive infusion of construction dollars to make sure that they'll last another 300 years. I, I'm, I'm always uh, amazed at, you know, when someone does do a restoration in the, in the French Quarter, you know, the, the kind of care and that has to be taken to make sure that those buildings can withstand, you know, a major renovation. But the inspiration for me is largely the fact that when you look at new town planning, um, you know, a seaside or, you know, uh, even uh, some of the other new town developments that have occurred, you know, they borrow very heavily from from the French Quarter and uh, the architecture, the layout, the, the the intimacy of the street widths, and all of those things that make it such an incredible place to live and work and play. Um, I just, oh God, that phone never rings. <laughs> um, I can I can pause the uh, video yeah, for a minute. Yeah. yeah. So so I think the. You know, again, the inspiration for me and 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 the and the French Quarter in particular, but also uh, Treme and some of the areas that developed. You know, as an extension of the growth of the city, and then looking at some of the historic maps. And obviously, um, Richard Capanelli has done a wonderful job in in, in his most recent book. Uh, where he does aerial shots of, of, of neighborhoods and, and portions of the city. And so I think, I think the biggest challenge for New Orleans is to not only celebrate you know, what we have as a city and its basic infrastructure, but to really start to um, really work on that moonshot statement of putting it in good repair. You know, uh, we see a lot of construction going on in the city right now, in some cases, pretty annoying uh, instances where things are not happening as quick a pace as they should. Um, 
but there's a huge dollar value that we could pretty much estimate it, that it's going to take to put everything in, in, as I say, good work in order and, and to bring it to a level where it's going to be able to resist and, and sustain itself uh, in this area of climate change. So I think that's, that's probably the city's major challenge. But it could also be a tool uh, doing that work could also be a tool to confront some of the other issues that you talked about before, which was, you know, if you give people good paying jobs, they're highly unlikely to resort to a life of, uh, of criminality. And I think that's, that's something we should really, um, as, a, as a community, be looking at. How do we take the absolute necessity of, of maintaining and rebuilding our neighborhoods and use it as a economic and business development opportunity, um, much like what my father did back in back in the '60s when uh, we were, you know, working on these uh, three-bedroom ranch-style houses. Um, we have been our firm has been actively in discussions with uh, uh, community organizations about looking at how to. Uh, take advantage of some of the infrastructure dollars uh, in the federal government um, budget to uh, start to think about ways of building more resilient neighborhoods, but also making them affordable so that the people who are historic residents of those areas can stay in those areas uh, and, uh, and, and really create some opportunities there where they can both have job opportunities, but also home ownership opportunities. You just opened the door for me to, um, to, to preach to the choir a little bit. I'm sure you'll mm -hmm. agree with me on this. Um, I'm, I'm very disappointed that we, so far, and I hope this will change, and, and um, uh, it's part of my, my job to make sure that this rises to a higher level of awareness. Um, mm -hmm. We have all this money coming for infrastructure work. Ray, I sure hope some of that funding finds its way into the cultural economy, that we take some of these older buildings that need work and are sitting there empty and turn them into places for creative work and to help advance our economy based on our cultural richness. We just haven't, um, we haven't put our cultural uh, resources to work the way we should. Yeah. And this is an opportunity. And I don't hear anybody talking about this either in the arts community or in your world, the infrastructure yeah. world. Yeah. And yeah. it's it's a, such a moment of opportunity. And it's crazy that we're not doing more. And I wish that I had a lot more resources and time and, and um, less competing uh, things that I have to deal with. Yeah. Um, but I, 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 you're in a position where you can try to help aim that. What if we really did look at some of these older warehouses, these schools, these mm -hmm. um, even older um, multifamily uh, edifices that are, are you know, crumbling and, and try to aim um, funding from the new relief money to their use for cultural work, for yeah. uh, joint working spaces for training programs for schools um, in in our work and my organizations work to introduce the idea of the of creative work to people I mean we have we have an, an, an unusually creative population 
yeah. we didn't make it happen. It's just in the blood. It's in the genes. It's it's in the let the legacy of the city. So let's put that to work as we watch our energy sector um, at least reduce its mm -hmm. footprint in our yeah. state. We have to come up with other ways for people to make a living and and develop yeah. our economy and and stay alive. Yeah, Gene, uh, I I don't have to say this to you, but one of the, the incredible thinkers uh, in our community, your husband, Bob Robert Tannen. Um, I didn't plan and, this, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it, it just goes to the point that back in, uh, right after Hurricane Katrina, uh, Bob's relationship with the RAND Corporation, they put together, a, 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 I think, a, an important piece of work that addresses some of the issues that we're talking about today. And so moving forward, now we have this opportunity with the um, infrastructure bill that has a billion dollars uh, in one bucket of, of maybe 14 or 15 buckets of money in that $1.2 trillion amount that is dedicated to assisting neighborhoods like Treme and where the interstate came through and really altered the economic and residential quality of life for that, for that neighborhood. Those dollars are there. There are groups and, and, uh, who are pursuing those dollars. Uh, and uh, I don't wanna be too uh, uh, verbose about that because again, I, I don't wanna speak for them, but you know, there are folks out there who are actively uh, pursuing dollars to do that. Um, one of the things that is coming out of that is that one of the legacies of, of uh, the, let's say, the, the Landrieu administration, I'm sorry, the first Landrieu administration, Moon, was the development of Armstrong Park. Armstrong Park uh, has a collection of historic buildings, uh, which in the past have housed the um, African-American Museum, uh, WWOZ was once on that site, along with Mahalia Jackson and the Municipal Auditorium. And as we all know, uh, the city, the mayor has, uh, is, is pursuing redeveloping uh, the Municipal Auditorium, uh, bringing it back to its state uh, pre-Katrina. Um, but there are so many opportunities to do, uh, in essence, what you're talking about on that site. And I believe that there is a pathway for federal dollars uh, from the uh, infrastructure bill uh, to, uh, to, uh, to help and assist in doing that. And in doing that, we could develop some, some <laughs> cultural tourism artifacts, if you right. will, uh, we might even be able to develop some institutes that uh, could uh, be part of training uh, in the, in the um, entertainment and cultural arena and bring in people from Treme into that, in that redesigned park. And again, we spent some time uh, noodling on that idea and have some, some thoughts about it. And at the same time, going in that same infrastructure bill and trying to get dollars to help deal with some of the street flooding that happens in that area, which I believe, and again, uh, I haven't proved this scientifically, but a lot of that flooding is due to 
uh, to the fact of the way Armstrong Park was constructed, which put a lot more pressure on the infrastructure around its edge. Uh, right. And so there's a lot of opportunities and those don't have to be um, uh, historic dollars, but they could certainly be dollars that could come from, let's say the EPA or from some other agency within that infrastructure bill. Uh, so there are lots of things that we can be doing and, and we just have to hope that the organizations who are, are currently tasked with doing that are you know, uh, you know, pursuing that and I know that they are. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm not, I don't mean this in a mean way but hope is not enough. I mean, we really, again, like you were so intentional about becoming an architect, we have to be intentional about this. Yeah, yeah. And um, also I'm gonna quote my husband uh, since you raised him and he did that, um, raised his, in the conversation. Um, he did a show about Jackson Square. Uh, yeah. Some time ago, it was just shown at the historic New Orleans collection. And his quote in reference to that is that there should be a Jackson Square in every neighborhood in the city. Yes. And one of <clears throat> my beliefs is that if we were to develop sites for cultural activity uh, uh, adjacent to small business um, uh, core areas in, around um, we could have all the live music and all the cultural activity we want without intruding on neighborhoods in neighbors in residential areas if right. we were to intentionally develop these areas. And um, we have so much rich history in every neighborhood. And it, we could start at least with having something in every councilmanic district and build out yes. from there. But I, yeah. I was disappointed when we were going for the... Um, live music ordinance that we couldn't be a little bit, again, more intentional, intentional not yeah. just develop standard consistent regulations, which the city council has done, that's an achievement, mm -hmm. but go further and advance cultural centers in, in, in neighborhoods. So that's something you and I should talk a little bit more about this at some time offline. <laughs> yeah. I, I really believe in the importance of this. Well, uh, you know, I, we're, we're about out of town on uh, time. I just wanna thank you so much for making yourself available um, to uh, share your thoughts with the audience. And, um, you know, Ray, keep me informed on what you're doing and, and let's, um, let, let's keep messaging out to folks and, and engage them in conversation. And if you have community leaders who you think are inclined in this direction, um, share their identity with me and let me get them into the program sure. to talk about what they see, because I, I'm a big believer that people in the community know as well as any planner, what that community needs. And when we worked on UNOP, that became very, very apparent to me because we heard yeah. so much from people as to what the needs and problems and opportunities are that, you know, I, I, some planners could, could think up, but sure. they know it from their own experience. Thank yeah. you so much for Thank your you. work, keep it up. And um, I hope uh, we'll see the, the shaping up of, of our city and, and a greater impact beyond our city and recognizing what we're yeah. achieving. I think 2023 will be an enormously important year when we look back on it, because I think there, there'll be a lot of advances on, on all the subjects that we talked about. I hope you're right. Okay, you're all right. right. Thank you so all much, right. Ray Manning, architect from New Orleans. All right. Work uh, in other parts of the world, which is important because we have to make sure that the rest of the world understands what we're doing here. All Thank right. you. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.